Hello and welcome back to Fast Charge, the weekly podcast from Tech Advisor. I am joined this week by one very familiar face, Lewis, who you should know is here week in, week out. We also have Aniron, who uh, joins us fairly regularly, and a very rare appearance by the elusive David Price, uh, who's actually from the Macworld team, uh, but we share a publisher. And since we are talking about Apple today, uh, we always love the excuse to get someone in to actually... I don't know, tell us what's actually going on there because, you know, we're hopeless. Uh, Okay, so today we are talking about three main topics, as always. First up, we're going to talk about Motorola. I wasn't expecting to talk about Motorola this week, but all of a sudden they announced, by my count, six phones today, which just by sheer volume alone, I think, earns them a spot on the podcast. So, you know, well done, Motorola. You're playing the game. Uh, Next, we're going to turn to Realme, who held a European launch event this week to... Uh, bring the Realme GT Neo 2 to the European market, along with, uh, maybe in a way more interestingly, the Realme Pad, their first ever Android tablet. So we're going to talk through those uh, and what their sort of move to the European market means. And then finally, the reason we've got David with us this week, we are going to turn to Apple's self-service repair scheme, uh, their sort of newly announced proposal that basically means from next year, people will be able to buy the tools and parts to repair their iPhones themselves, if they so dare, uh, which is pretty major because I think they are the first phone manufacturer to offer anything like that. But we're going to discuss A, what it is, B, is this a case of Apple boldly going where no phone manufacturer has gone before, or is it them just kind of trying to get ahead of impending regulations that will force them to do this anyway without all the goodwill they get by doing it now. Uh, But yeah, we'll get to that. Before that, let's talk about a few other little bits and pieces from this week. Uh, First up, actually following up on something from last week. Last week I mentioned there was a bit of a, I don't know, scandal is too strong a word, but a very minor brouhaha over Pixel 6 charging speeds which appeared to not be as fast as they actually were. Uh, and Google has now stepped in and confirmed that, that despite shipping the Pixel, well, not shipping the Pixels with chargers, they don't ship with chargers, they kind of advertise their charging speeds in relation to, if you buy a 30-watt Pixel charger, you'll you know, get these charging speeds. Uh, it's now being confirmed that they don't charge at 30 watt. The regular Pixel 6 caps out at 21 watts, and the Pixel 6 Pro is 23 watts. So, yeah... I don't think Google ever said they had 30 watt charging on the phones, technically. But no, yeah, they're definitely it. trying to pull a fast <laughs> one here, and I guess they didn't think anyone would actually test the wattage. Um, a little yeah. bit embarrassing. We've certainly felt we had to go back and update our reviews to reflect the actual charging capacities these have, because um, it is misleading. And I think now puts them below the iPhone 13 Pro charging, which I know also Apple doesn't specify too much, but there were... Yeah. One of them goes to 27, I think. It was kind of, I think it was 27 watts. Yeah, the, the, Pro, the Pro Max so has the fastest yeah. out of them. Um, well, so only got this going after the fact, didn't it? So, yeah. you know, somebody had to go and check it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, the same thing happened here, and just realised they were much slower than what Apple than, than what Google was saying. So yeah, in that sort of race to the bottom of Google, Apple, and the Samsung for who can do the slowest charging on their phones, Google has um, you know dropped dropped even further down with this. Uh, more bad Google news this week: the Pixel Fold 
may have been cancelled. This, uh, in case, well, not an official name, the Pixel Fold, but there have been a lot of talk that Google's working on a foldable Pixel phone that we thought we might see this year. We then thought we might see it next year when Android 12L rolls out. Um, but now, according to sort of some supply chain sources, it looks like Google might have just cancelled all of its parts orders for the Pixel Fold. Um, the reckoning being that maybe they realize they're going to really struggle to be competitive against Samsung um, and that it's sort of a small niche market and Samsung would just be able to beat them on scale so they wouldn't be able to make money with the Pixel Fold or or maybe something else has gone wrong with it, we don't know. This is all unconfirmed. Maybe they're still working on it. Maybe they've just changed their orders around and that's why this has come out. Maybe they've just delayed it and it's going to come out in the back half of next year and instead or something like that. But is looking a bit ropey for that foldable pixel which is a shame because i was actually quite excited about that um i i've loved i've been playing around with the pixel 6 pro this week and i really liked the software experience there and i'd really like to see google have a go at sort of doing doing a proper foldable their own way um it also gave me hope for android 12l because if google had hardware stakes like if they had their own foldable that needed to work well with android that kind of gave me more hope that the software they were going to ship out to every other oem was also going to be sort of up to scratch yeah it is really disappointing um especially because at the moment you know especially in western markets samsung is literally the only person doing and the only company doing yeah i mean we had one motorola razor Or do we have two gens of it? But either I think there yeah. was one and then a five G version or something. It's kind of like a, yeah. gen, a gen and um, a half. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no sign of a new one. We're not. It's not clear if they're making one or no, not. This is, and, th- and this is what you know. This is what drives down. This is what drives yeah. down prices. Is what drives you know innovation and stuff like that. Is competition. So we need someone else to kind of uh, you know be yep. like, yeah, we're doing this. Um, Apple, hopefully, but not anytime yeah. soon. I don't think. Uh, They'll wait until everybody has done it. Literally everybody will do need to do one yeah. before they'll come out with one, yeah. and then they'll claim it was the first one. Ever. Oh, I cannot wait for the breathless headlines about the the first. You know, Apple inventing the foldable phone uh, in five years' time or something. But how do they do it? Um, you guys know, you guys know how skeptical I am about folding phones in general. Mm. Um, the, the concept does not appeal to me at all. So, I, for once, because I'm generally very annoyed with Apple about how slow they are catching up, but on this one, I'm okay with it because. I don't really like the idea. It makes me worry about the point of failure and that sort of thing. So, Yeah, and I think there's still, you know, I've been a big champion of the Z Flip 3 on the show and, and on the site. Um, but there's still a sign that there's some room for improvement there. And we've already seen a couple of sort of horror stories going around about Z Flip 3 is just kind of breaking if they're left folded for too long and stuff like that. So there is clearly still room for the hardware to get better and and i think apple will just wait till it's absolutely rock solid before it goes near it um right sticking with samsung they have finally released one ui4 um so i actually haven't had a chance to play with it yet so i don't have too much to say about one ui4 uh, except that i i will be installing it on the phone as soon as i find the time to dig one of my samsung's out the cupboard <laughs> and update it uh but yeah, if you if you have uh, one of the recent Samsungs, I think the S21s already have it, and it's rolling out to some of the others. Uh, but yeah, you can update to One UI 4 and get the latest version of Samsung's OS, which is great. Uh, one little thing I want to talk about, because we've spoken about it on the pod a couple of times, but the OnePlus Nord 2 Pac-Man edition, uh, I think last week we got to confirm that the Pac-Man edition was the phone, but I wasn't allowed to actually talk about it. Uh, this week it's now 
you know, full full public knowledge. So that is the Pac-Man edition of the Nord 2. If you're watching us on YouTube, you might just be able to make out a little Pac-Man underneath the camera module. Uh, we actually have an unboxing video on the channel, so go check that out if you want to see a bit more about it. But basically what you need to know is it is a Nord 2. It's got Pac-Man on the back. Uh, it has a glow-in-the-dark maze that appears when you get the phone in the dark. Um, but I would lower your expectations a little bit. I found it has to be incredibly dark uh, to get the glow-in-the-dark to trigger, and even then it's not that bright. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just to it, it's one of those, it. like, it's kind of cool when you do, when the effect does trigger properly, but it is not going to happen very often, I think, in day-to-day -day life. So, you know, rein it in a bit if you're really excited about glow-in-the-dark phone. Um, but actually, the fun stuff is really the software because they've just thrown in loads of Pac-Man wallpapers, ringtones, uh, Easter eggs, mini games, little bits dotted around the phone. So if you are a big Pac-Man fan, I don't know how many big Pac-Man <laughs> fans there are these days. It's a dying um, breed, I think. I, I fear it might be. <laughs> but yeah, they've, they've done a good job and it's a great way of kind of gamifying the phone itself. So I think it's the kind of thing for more these gaming tie-in phones that seems to be like a growing concern. And I think people are going to look at this as a good example of, of how to do it. And we'll see this kind of influence influence more of these things going forwards, just in terms of the way they've gamified the whole experience. Can't wait to see the nice <laughs> Fortnite phone. Oh, yeah. I'm actually surprised we haven't had a Fortnite one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as soon as I said that, I was like, actually, why had this already ships, a thing? You know, for those things to appear in yeah. Fortnite and stuff like that. But no one's actually done a Fortnite phone, mm. as far as I'm aware. Um, last yeah. little bit is chipset stuff. Um, so one thing to flag is that uh, I think today MediaTek is holding uh, its sort of summit announcement. So I think annoyingly after the show, but we should find out what the new MediaTek flagship phone is today. We will have to talk about that next week on the show. Uh, so sorry that will effectively be a week late, but we should find out today what that's going to be. And obviously we've mentioned a couple of weeks we're getting at the equivalent Qualcomm thing. There's been an interesting rumor this week, which is on the naming of that, which is that the name going around now is the Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, uh, as opposed to the 898 or the 895 or the other sort of numbered names that have been going around. I believe this because from the get-go when all the leaks started, I thought they were going to have to change because they'd made it all the way up to 888 <laughs> and there's just not yeah. much yeah. room <laughs> left in the 800s for them to go. And it felt very, 888, the 888 was already like breaking the naming convention a bit. So it felt like that was a good excuse to just reset it. So I don't know if this is the real name or not, 8 Gen 1, but I could believe it's going to be that or something like it. It makes sense. Yeah. 8.1 8 something. Mm. something. Yeah, like some that. sort of shift. I think 898 is was never going to be the name. I think it was just a convenient no. thing for everyone to settle around uh, when talking about it. But um, yes, we'll see. Keep an eye out for that. Right, let's go on to the show proper. Um, so let's talk Motorola. Uh, as I mentioned, Motorola have dumped six phones on the market today um, in, in a, a splurge of handsets. Five of them, they're all Moto G series, to be clear. So none of these are like super, super, super high end. Um, though actually the top one, the G200, is powered by the 888 Plus, which is the most powerful chipset, uh, you know, in a phone mm. that's not made by Apple, at least. So... That is, in a sense, high-end, but it's still a mid-range phone. Otherwise, it's 450 euros. That's the most expensive. Otherwise, there's sort of five global handsets that go down to about 200 euros in price. It's 200 to 450 euro range. 
uh, and then one American one, which is an updated Moto G Power. And I did scour the spec list to check, and this is different to all of the European ones. Um, I, I thought they might be the same phone under a different name, but it is different. The specs balanced are slightly different to all the other European ones. Um, so there's the, let's see if I get this right, the G200, the G71, then it skips to the G51, G41, and G31, and then the G Power for the States. We've already had G Power in the States before. This is at least the second, maybe even the third Moto G Power. Um, but I guess you'll just have to call it the G Power. 2022 because they say it's coming out in a few months so it's a really a next year phone because we've had a g power yeah. this year so you can't call it the g power 2021 because there's already been one of those um <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to fall into the our trap of moaning about motorola <laughs> yeah. phone names because we do it every time <laughs> i was gonna say look david are you are you keeping up with all these names here are you, these all making I have, sense I have to, to you? admit i got a little bit lost <laughs> in the middle <laughs> <laughs> and if well, I mean, I'm probably at a lower technical knowledge level than most of Motorola's customers, so hopefully they'll be all right. <laughs> um, I think let's we'll, we'll focus on the G200 mm. because that is the top end one, and as I said, that's got the Snapdragon 888 Plus inside it, which is kind of what's maybe interesting here, especially at the price it's at. Um, there is, yeah, yeah there is one price. thing I want to highlight about the range as a whole, and I'm actually just checking if it's true of the G Power. I don't think it is. But of the five that are kind of global handsets, all of them have waterproofing, um, which is really rare. So, so the, the cheapest one, the G21, is a 200-euro phone that has an IPX2 rating. Um, so the X means it's not been tested for dust. The 2 means it has some level of water resistance. I cannot remember what the 2 stands for. There are all sort of different amounts of subversion to a certain depth or sprays of water or, or something. I don't know. Two is, I think it's, it's, two is yeah, extremely low. It's like it's essentially it rain. Mm. I yeah. think. Um, I've got to be honest. When you yeah, said that, I thought you were going to say IPX seven no, or something. Yeah. But it's it's two. not serious waterproofing. But the fact that they've spent any money getting an IP rating is kind of encouraging because, mm. um, uh, you know, it's very very rare for phones that kind of price. Mm. It does get better. The well, on the water, it's the same. The G two hundred and some of the top ones are IP fifty two which is the same water resistance, but it means they also have some dust resistance. So a bit yeah. better. But anyway, I just thought it was an interesting thing to highlight because I think that is immediately the thing that stands out here compared to other phones, that there is, is at least some guaranteed level of water resistance that you would not normally find on a budget offering. Um, Aniron, you, mm -hmm. you wrote up the G200 today. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what else is exciting about it beyond having mm. that 888 I plus mean, inside? Yeah, I mean, the other main headline feature is the 144 hertz display um, oh i missed that yeah oh, that's good so that's that's pretty impressive yeah. especially at this price point and you probably noticed that a lot of the phones that have had this refresh rate before have been either gaming phones or they've been mostly kind of these gaming specific phones yeah. and only it's only the red magic phones that have actually got a higher refresh rate than this um so that's really impressive to see although compared to the 120 hertz you don't tend to notice a huge difference it's not a big jump but it's still nice to see a feature that feature come alongside the 888 plus. Um, it's a, it's it definitely means specs wise, this like is a gaming phone in terms of the specs. Mm, like, oh, I guess do. yeah, I am gaming for sure. You know, it's a way to get a, 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 a ga gaming phone without that look of a gaming phone. Mm -hmm. I guess the caveat is probably on cooling. It's probably not going to compete with those gaming phones that have like you know ridiculous no. vapor chamber you know multiple vapor chambers or built-in fan accessories and stuff like that it won't yeah. match on that front but yeah. cooling yeah 
and, um, and all, yeah, that, that's that's the the build is the yeah, the, the area that you're making the big sacrifice because it is a plastic yeah. back, um, and the displays LCD as opposed to OLED. But besides that, it looks like really really competitive, especially for the price. Um, it's gone with like that 108 megapixel main rear camera, which has as I've seen on a few other phones before, but. Um, that big megapixel count doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be great photos, as we've mentioned before. I've, I've got to say, I've yeah. not. I can't remember the last time I was impressed by a Motorola camera. Mm. Like it's been years. Lewis, I think you reviewed one of their their flagshipy ones recently. Which one did you? Yeah, it, it was uh, the G fifty. Oh, this is the name of the I thought you reviewed the G one hundred. The one that I'm works sure. with the... Oh, yeah. Mm. It might have been. It yeah. might have been the G one hundred. The one, whatever one works with that docking system. The yes, cool, which the this one has as well. One. The ready for dock um, is supported here too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. What? Even? Uh, like, yeah, that's not too bad then. Um, but yeah, the, the cameras are fine. You know, they're point and shoot. They'll catch what you're seeing. But it's when you zoom in, you're a bit like, oh, this is a bit noisy. Mm. This is a bit. You know, you're losing the the detail. And especially when it comes to night photography, I don't think I've ever seen a even a half decent night photo from any Motorola phone at any price. Mm. Like it's just one area they just do not do well in ever. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's true of, of, of Motorola overall. I think, yeah, like you were saying, the cameras aren't ever that great, but you have the quality and kind of performance and, and other areas like that, which does make it a little mm. bit more of a sell. Um, I will notice, I just have to point out as well, that even though there's, there's 108 megapixel <laughs> main sensor here, but then it drops down to eight megapixel ultra wide yeah. and a two megapixel depth sensor. So like it just tops yeah. off so quick. <laughs> they are all real sensors this time as opposed to the pocket. <laughs> well, that's always nice. Yeah. yeah. At least they're not to lying what? to us. Oh, what did they do before? <laughs> oh, so we, we were talking about a phone, uh, last week that has what appears to be four camera lenses on the back but in fact only two of them are camera lenses and two of them are just circles <laughs> on the back of the phone um, i actually i've I, i've been writing up my my we'll talk about tablets in a bit with realme but i've been writing up my review of the xiaomi pad 5 this week and i realized that is an offender on the exact same thing and i just hadn't really looked at the camera oh. properly to put two and two together there but that has a dual camera where only one of them is is a camera and the other is a circle that says 13 megapixels <laughs> inside it um <laughs> i can only assume I, when we, we spoke about this last week so don't dwell on it i mean it, it's obviously partly just marketing nonsense and trying to mislead people i, I, I assume a big chunk of it is actually just comes down to they probably just have loads of specific camera modules lying around. It's just like, well, yeah, we've got loads of these two yeah. lens modules. Mm. Let's just slap them on the back, even though we're only going to use one of the lenses. And, and the same with this other one we're talking about. So, you know, we must have these specific modules for four lenses and they just, well, we're not going to use them all, but we'll throw it on the back because it's cheaper than building a new one that, that fits what we've got. Anyway, these are all lenses, real <laughs> lenses. There's three circles on the back of the phone. Each of them has a camera inside. <laughs> <laughs> which i don't we didn't use the need to clarify but you know all uh, <laughs> cameras yeah um uh, besides that i guess i guess one of the big reasons to pick to buy a motorola phone in general but particularly around this price point is the software experience about that motorola is typically pretty close yeah. to stock android there's not much bloatware it's it's pretty clean and stripped back um and they have confirmed that an update to android 12 is coming we don't know obviously how long that will be um, but it's surprising mm. it'll be at least supported. I don't know if it'll be if it'll then get Android 13 as well or what the sort of longevity is in the phone, but that's quite encouraging. I guess the only other feature that would kind of differentiate from a, 
a true flagship is that there's the fingerprint scanners uh, side mounted rather than in the in the display. But again, the kind of in display fingerprint scanners still need to be perfected. The technology still uh, not always perfect. So, and I don't mind that. It's usually pretty fast and reliable. So, yeah, I think that's a consequence of of using the LCD rather than the OLED. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, on the updates, just to to be clear, they do actually say there's one guaranteed update, mm. but that's it. So mm. it, so it, I'd actually say that as a weak point. So it's shipping with eleven. They're guaranteeing one update, which means you will get Android twelve. But you know, some phones are already shipping with Android twelve, so that's yeah. you know not a huge promise. And then there's no guarantee it will ever get a major Android version update beyond that, which is not great especially for that top end one for the g200 i think for the cheaper ones it's a little bit more forgivable but we're you know certainly at the point in the android 11 12 swap where when all they're saying is you're definitely android 12 at some point it's sort of like yeah Mm. well that's really the bare minimum um especially because you know you've got you've got companies like nokia that are committing to multi-year os updates Mm -hmm. for their mid-range smartphones you know they cost around mm-hmm. the 250 350 mark and you're getting multi-year os upgrades and even yep. longer for security so this is um, probably a really stupid question mm, but i love would those. you would well yeah they can be quite illuminating sometimes <laughs> could you not just hold on until they roll out android 12 and then be guaranteed android 13 or is it not that simple or is it not even going to be that soon that they get it oh uh, no so i mean a, a on the first point no i think basically they're guaranteeing this has 11, we'll update it once. So it's not one update from when okay. you buy it. And I think no matter what, gotcha. it, it wouldn't get updated in the box necessarily. So if, if you bought it six months from now, it would still have Android 11 in. And hopefully by that point, they've done their update. So you'll set it up, it will suggest an update to 12, and that'll be, yeah, that's your one update. You've had it. Um, you got it on day one. Um, yeah, and then as for the timing, yeah, I don't know when. I'm not actually sure on Motorola's plans for Android 12. It will mm. probably be a few months yeah. before there rolling it out to everything but i'm i'm not positive on i don't know if they've published a timetable specifically or not um the other thing to highlight about the range as a whole this phone i, I mentioned the, the the waterproofing but unless i'm much mistaken all of these phones have 5000 milliamp hour batteries yeah. um which is really an area motor has just kind of said yeah we make phones with big batteries you know <laughs> it's just what they do they, they all seem to do it now um yeah What's funny there, in a way, is that then I mentioned there's this Moto G Power in the States as well. And from my understanding, again, moaning about naming, Power was the name they gave to the ones that had big batteries. The Power referred to, you know, the, long, the, yeah. the longevity, yeah. the battery power it had. But the Power also has a 5,000 milliampere yeah. battery. So they all <laughs> have that. And the Power name is, is once again completely meaningless. But um, yeah, it, it is a big battery, and especially given the relatively certainly on the cheaper ones here maybe not this this the 200 but on the cheaper ones the the lower power chips they're using means these should be two maybe even three day battery lives for a lot of these um charging's less impressive even the g200 is 33 watts Mm -hmm. and once you drop down to the cheap ones they're 10 watts which is you know about as slow as you get you say less impressive but it's better than it's still better than pixels yes we were talking about (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so who am i to knock it um yeah, I like the look of these broadly. I mean, I think Motorola phones, it's, it's certainly aesthetically, 
you could put these five phones next to each other and I'd struggle to tell you which one was the premium one. Mm -hmm. um, they oh, yeah. all look identical. Yeah. Motorola has settled on an aesthetic and not touched it in a long time, which is fine. It sort of <laughs> suits what they're doing. Um, they, they're clearly just trying to throw a load of phones out at roughly the same price points, each with slightly different priorities, you know. This one's got slightly better cameras. This one's got slightly better display. Some of them are high refresh rate LCDs. Some of them are 60 hertz OLEDs. So you kind of get to make that choice about where you prioritize your display specs. Um, but in general, I think these look like they do a good job of being kind of powerful for their price um, handsets. And, and as as you said, Anirin, you're getting mostly stock Android, mm -hmm. which is nice. I, I wish you were getting more updates. Yeah. But the software experience here is, is pretty pretty stocky which i know a lot of people out there really like so th there's definitely something to be said for it mm -hmm. and yeah i would, would just add that the i've been reviewing the g60s which kind of sits just one step below this range so i think it's about the mm. one, 160 mark so they're really almost like at every budget price point they're trying to release a phone that will cater to that market i think they go i have reviewed some before that goes low, go under 100 pounds as well so they're really yeah the, the moto range. ease yeah i think go go really cheap mm. um yeah, it, it, it's kind of funny. I, I'd say what's funny on the pricing stuff here is that I remember when there was a lot of hype about Motorola making a Snapdragon 888 phone um, in the G100, that it was them doing a flagship. And what's funny is they still haven't really done yeah. that because they're still sticking around the 500 euro mm. line. They're just finally, you know, doing more powerful ones at that price, whereas I think I would say historically the Motorola phones tended to be underpowered for their price. And now, if anything, that's where they're kind of throwing their money. But they are carving out an interesting space of being like these are really high-powered performance phones for their price points that maybe don't quite match on on all the other I mean, specs. This is, but you know, it's why kind of you know the Chinese manufacturers are so popular because mm. this is what they do. They kind of they, they you know they they go all in on hardware. So where Murrow is copying this, but then they also mm -hmm. have the advantage of having stock Android. They're like, well, we can do this and mm. beat you at your own game and have you on price. So I kind of get where they're going for it. And, you know, the M200, um, the G200 does look really nice. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, for, for a two, you know, 300 pound phone, whatever 450 it is, how much, euros. How much does it actually cost? It's probably 450 euros. So yeah, about three, seven, nine. Probably something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's go with that. Let's go with that anyway. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not a bad phone. I don't think, um, like you say, it's not the best at anything, I don't think, but it's, it's mm. well-rounded enough that I think most people will be happy with it. What I don't price. know is if it's going to come to the US, because like I said, this was the, these these five numbered G phones mm. of sort of Europe and the Middle East and Asia is where the announcement had been made. Mm -hmm. And then the G Power got announced today for the States. But, I mean, Motorola is so inconsistent now on which phones come out where and whether they get name changes. So I just, <laughs> I don't dare speculate. But... It, I would hope the G200 would come out in the States because given the shape of the American mid-range market, you'd think it'd be a really, really compelling option in the US market uh, with those kind of specs at that kind of price. But who knows if they're going to put it out there. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, Realme, who also launched a pretty compelling mid-range device this week, at least for Europe, in the GT Neo 2. Um, again, silly phone names. There's not been a GT2, uh, and I don't think Europe ever got the GT Neo, but we do have the GT Neo <laughs> 2 and the regular GT. Um, anyway, this is kind of, despite jumping on on several different bits of naming, 
it's sort of like a remix version of the regular GT, and it's got that same kind of... Uh, it's got a different design, but it's got that same, I don't know, race car, muscle car aesthetic with sort of l- pretty lurid colours and a racing stripe down the back of it and that sort of thing. Uh, but really solid set of specs um, at a fairly competitive price. It's got that same sort of thing where you're getting very good chipset, nice display and fast charging but the camera is going to be kind of where it where it lags behind um i think this is a bit more display focused than the regular the regular gt um and and maybe a little bit more i said it's got a lurid design it's a bit less lurid than the regular gt was um that yellow was was pretty exciting. I mean, that's not very <laughs> hard, is it? <laughs> I think it's also getting wider availability because the GT, for some reason, never really got a proper European launch. It kind of launched, but actually, it's certainly not out in the UK. Um, whereas this, I think, is is properly properly launching across Europe. Um, and Iron, I think this is another one it you is, wrote yeah. up. Oh no, Chris did, and oh, then you, you kind of help help with the coverage of the launch. Mm-hmm. Um, so run us through that. This is not. An 888, is it? It's a uh, Snapdragon 870. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Interestingly, this is this is uh, 449 euros as well. So they're kind mm. of very much competing. But this feels, aside from the cameras, it feels a bit more well-rounded. So you, it got, it's got a 120 hertz OLED display um, with 600 hertz touch sampling, which is usually good for gaming and other things like that. Mm. Um, it's, it's got 5,000 milliamp hour battery as well. Uh, the fast charging got 65 watts, and they say 36 minutes for a full charge. That feels like... Proper, proper fast charging. Right. Um, yep. And it also comes with Android 12 out of the box, which, as we were saying before, that, that's a pretty yeah, big... Yeah, there is one caveat there. We've run a re- we've got a review of this phone up on the site, um, and Realme say this phone is shipping with Android 12, but our review unit was Android 11, oh, okay. and never got an Android 12 update in the time we were reviewing it. So I'm not, I'm not saying Realme are lying. I believe that by the time this phone ships, it will have Android 12, <laughs> but it is a bit... It, it clearly wasn't quite ready yet and so you know we've had to review yeah. it on android 11 and it's like uh, it's possible it's going to be one of those things where it ships with 11 and gets a 12 update uh, over yeah. the air yeah. after the fact or something i'd be yeah. a bit worried about that but either way they are promising android 12 very very soon <laughs> hopefully in uh, you know out of the box but we'll see mm. but uh yeah again it, look, it looks like a well-rounded phone it's got as i mean the uh the cameras are probably, I mean, it's got a 64 megapixel main camera, but it's got the same 8 megapixel ultra-wide, 2 megapixel telephoto. I think it's the exact same camera as the Realme GT, mm-hmm. which uh, we basically said was, yeah, this is fine. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's another, like, yeah, this, the camera's fine. Um, I think that the, the display is the highlight here. Yeah. It's not the only 120 hertz OLED around, but for 450 euros to get 120 hertz OLED, um, that high touch something rate, and it's got HDR10 Plus support. So um, I think Realme basically yeah. say this is the best display they've ever made uh, or, or used. Rather, they didn't actually make it themselves. Um, so I think, you know, if you want to compare this to the GT, fundamentally what they've done is dropped the chipset down a tiny bit from the 888 to the 870, which I think is a very reasonable trade off for 99% mm-hmm. of yeah, people, um, yeah. and bumped the display up a tiny bit from 120 hertz OLED to a different, slightly better 120 hertz OLED. <laughs> so it's the kind of, trying to pull these two phones apart is a real, like, other than the fact that they look a little different, you've really got to get into, quite into the nitty gritty of the specs to pull apart 
how they are not the same mm. phone. Um, so I'm really fascinated by the fact that this one's come getting a wide release when the GT only half did. And, I, you know, you sort of feel like, wouldn't it be easier to just make lots of the GT? Um, I wonder if that's just chips shortage kicking in. They couldn't get enough 888s to do that. They could get a lot more 870s mm. to do this one, something like that. Um, but... I think the GT, the Realme GT was a very, very, very good phone. We think this is also a, a really, really, really good phone. Uh, it's a very, very similar phone. It's just a little bit up here, a little bit down there. Um, I, I think it's a real shame our, our reviewer wasn't able to try out the uh, Realme UI 3.0, which is their, their Android 12 version, because I'm broadly quite a fan of Realme UI. Uh, you know, I've used the last version and the Android 11 version on a couple of phones, and I'd, I'd really be curious to see what they've done with Android 12 and how they've made the most of that because I think they're sort of a little bit of a dark horse in the Android software discussions. Mm -hmm. I think people don't rate Realme UI very much, Ooh. but um, I mean, it, fundamentally, it's Color OS, and Color OS is really good. I was about to say, yeah, that's no bad yeah. thing these days, is it? Um, so, and, and probably going to get better now that we're going to, from next year, the OnePlus. Oppo partnerships on software. Yeah. Hopefully that will improve both OSs and, and, and Realme UI will probably in turn reap the benefits of that eventually because whatever gets added to Color OS will eventually appear on Realme UI. Um, I wouldn't even be shocked if they retire Realme UI eventually and just put the same that same mm -hmm. unified OS on, on the Realme phones as well because it would seem like it makes mm. sense. It yeah. makes sense. Every argument yeah, they have exactly. for doing it on Oppo and OnePlus also applies to doing it on Realme. So... <laughs> you could kind of see that happening. Um, so, so this is interesting. I think, it's, in a way, having despite having put the real me the, the phone in the in the headline of the, the, this episode, in a way, I think what's more interesting might be the real me pad, mm. um, which certainly wasn't what they were headlining in their launch. They were really going big on the phone, but actually, the pad is interesting just because it's another Android tablet. And we've spoken about this before, mm -hmm. but what was a completely yeah, yeah. dead ecosystem with fundamentally just the Amazon Fire tablets and then Samsung releasing two Galaxy tabs every year. Suddenly we've had, I already mentioned the Xiaomi Pad 5, uh, which I've, I've reviewed recently and I'm a big fan of, fake lens aside. Um, we reviewed on the site recently the Nokia, I think it's the T20, mm -hmm. um, which yeah. is a much cheaper tablet, but I think we're broadly impressed by. Um, and I think the Realme Pad sits in that kind of space. Mm -hmm. It's 239 euros. Yeah, that's right. So... Comfortably undercutting even the cheapest iPad, you know, mm -hmm. as a as a the easy reference point, I suppose. Um, what what does the Realme Pad look like on our end? I haven't I haven't looked too closely at this one. I mean, yeah, it's it's quite a basic budget tablet. It feels like Realme's just kind of testing the waters and seeing how much appeal a Realme tablet might have. So it uses it uses a MediaTek Helio G80 chip, which is specifically mm -hmm. designed for gaming. So they're trying to, despite kind of not being the most powerful, it's meant to be specifically good gaming um it's got 10.4 inch display it uses that uh the kind of the five by three aspect ratio the kind of slightly unusual so it's got a 1200 by 2000 resolution which on a device this size is, is absolutely fine um to save me doing the maths does that make it boxier is that more square or more wide than we'd normally have um, i feel like that's more square yeah it's more squared off than usual isn't it i think yeah three yeah. by two I don't know, in, in the render, it looks pretty rectangular to me. 
It's going to be a rectangular, isn't it? Yeah, this is I mean, going to be a difficult one. Whatever, it's all right. <laughs> whatever aspect ratio will be a rectangle, rectangle, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just realised what I said exactly. Let's just Sorry. ignore that. I've contributed nothing for that it, last it, it's a rectangle. I just knock you down. Thank you, David. Sorry. Really yeah. like you being here. That's, that's really the, the, the Macworld uh, iPad expertise coming through. <laughs> we know what it, rectangle It'll be a rectangle. It's oozing through. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think it's worth. It is an interesting comparison to the iPad in a way, and I think that that does kind of reflect one of the, the quirks of how we're seeing this this burgeoning Android tablet ecosystem kind of come back. Because the Xiaomi Pad Five is very clearly positioned as an iPad rival, like the base iPad, because it's it's around that size and it comes in around that price. It's sort of um, a little bit more expensive, thirty, forty euros more expensive than the regular iPad. Um, what's interesting is both the Nokia and the Realme offerings are clearly undercutting that and they're coming in both more in this kind of 200 odd euro range where it's definitely more positioning as kind of okay maybe you're someone who doesn't want to spend even the, the you know the 300 odd euros pounds dollars that Apple charges for its cheapest iPad there is a cheap Android option um the challenge I see there is that's exactly the space where the Amazon Fire tablets mm. have been for a while and kind of just dominating that cheap space. Um, and I'd still feel like it'd be hard-pressed to recommend anyone buy anything other than an Amazon tablet if they were looking for a really cheap tablet because, you know, they're not amazing devices, but, God, they are cheap. Mm. And you get standard Android apps on those, though. Yes and no. Or it's got it that weird Amazon, Amazon store storefront that does limit your options <laughs> For sure, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that 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 will probably be the only argument. This kind of thing is, you know, if you want full Android with all the stuff on Google Play and everything else, then yeah, this is here. But if you want something safer and more Bezosy, then you've got. Why yeah, hasn't stuff. Why hasn't the tablet market um, split up the way smartphones have? I've never I've never understood this. That for a, for much longer than the iPhone, the iPad mm. dominated. Yeah. And now you're saying that Amazon is a realistic alternative, but it's still just basically those two. Why is it is it that if Amazon had got into into phones that they similarly would have been just those two because of their sheer power? I think Amazon did a phone once and it was a massive flop, but I might oh, be misremembering. Um, or maybe there were just rumours they were going to do a phone. I might be getting muddled up. Um, I don't know. This is a, a complicated question, I guess. I think a big part of it is the software side it's kind of the conventional wisdom the accepted wisdom is that google just never did a good job of adapting android for bigger screens and, and for the tablet experience and it always felt like you were using a phone that had been just expanded to a big display and yeah. does it was often using early android tablets was often a very awkward experience and to some extent still is um Part of the reason I think we're seeing it all come back is because of foldables and because with the Galaxy Z Fold in particular, Samsung kind of had to adopt this bigger form factor. Samsung, through its own tablet ecosystem as well, has basically figured out how to optimize a bit for bigger displays. It's in turn forcing Google to. So I, I mentioned Android 12L earlier. So that's Google doing a new Android version, an update that's optimized for large large screens primarily for the bigger foldable displays, really, but tablets kind of get lumped in with that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think through this and, and also 
I think part of it is now a growth in the Indian market having tablet appeal, but I, I don't feel like I have not enough expertise there to assess why the Indian market is suddenly getting interested in tablets. But it's sort of a convergence of a few things, meaning lots of people are interested in looking at tablets again on the Android side and trying to make it work. As to why it didn't work before, yeah, the software side is definitely one because they were always just a bit a bit janky. Um, I guess my concern yeah. here is I also feel like part of the problem is that most of the early Android tablets were all trying to be cheap and cheerful and there wasn't really a space for nice, you know, good good Android tablets. And I'm a bit worried that as we're having this resurgence, a lot of them are people once again making 200 euro ones mm. that are fine for the price, but not very pleasant to use. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, that's what Android tablet for me was always an association with these these cheap rubbish ones, you know. I think, though, um, you know, as as with the case with budget phones back in the day, budget phones now are a, a lot that better. That is true. You know, two hundred pound phones now compared to two hundred pound phones, you know, five years ago, the, the mm -hmm. performance is is day and night. So, even though they are still keeping these low prices, I'm hoping that the performance is going to be a little bit better this time around yeah. at the very least. I mean, certainly the, I mean, the the Xiaomi one I've been reviewed I've reviewed that's four hundred ish. Um, that's fantastic, and and that's got an eight series chip in it, so it is a big difference in performance but that's a really really capable bit of kit this realme pad won't won't quite be at that level but it, no, even you know yeah. just with with the helio g80 it's got in theory that should be enough to mean it is very capable at doing even if it's just a kind of web browsing checking your email watching netflix device mm -hmm. which is how a lot of people use tablets like i think before you would have thought a cheap exactly, android yeah. one would still be a bit slow and stuttery yeah. doing that i don't see any reason to think this would be particularly mm -hmm. Whether it will live up to the gaming aspiration mm. they clearly kind of have for it, I'm a bit more sceptical yeah. there. Especially with just three gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, in that's it. not going to happen there, is it? That's not too tasty. <laughs> <laughs> that's not too tasty there. But just, yeah, just a quick point on the software side. They're actually promoting this Realme UI for pads. So they, I think they have made some changes to their UI specifically for tablets. It's not actually clear what those changes are, but they're almost mm. like, a specific focus on these large screen devices before Android 12L comes, which is promising. Yeah, and, and Xiaomi did the same on the MIUI for the Pad 5 mm -hmm. and, and with bits of it that work and bits of it that don't. The bits that work, in, in, in all fairness, are mostly cribbed quite directly from iPads. Um, so it's things like now, if you swipe down from the top left, you get your notifications, but the top right brings up the control center, which isn't how it works on a Xiaomi phone, but they did it this way on the tablet. Uh, and if you go into the settings app, it has a kind of two pane view where the left hand column is always the sort of list of top level settings. And then when you select one, it opens up a right hand pane with all Great the actual sub options and great UI uh, work. It's, it's excellent UI. Uh, it's you have quite obvious who came up with it. It's not there. We saw the same thing on, on the Huawei, the recent Huawei Mate pads running Harmony OS, where they made also made both those design choices uh, in their software. Yeah. Um, Google, I think what we've seen of Android 12 L actually handles things a little bit differently, which is refreshing. Google doesn't look to have just directly copied Apple's homework on that one. And I wonder if we'll see these manufacturers then adopt the Google, uh, you know, structure of the UI in that respect, or just stick with copying Apple because, in fairness, the Apple UI works really, really well. I, I don't love iPad OS. Yeah. So it, I'm, not, I'm not sure I could ever really explain why, but I've never felt comfortable with it. Mm. And it's sort of ironic that 
Android felt like it was just the iPhone ver- uh, the phone version stuck onto a tablet. Well, that was exactly what the problem was with iOS. It was just the same yeah. with only minor differences. Mm. But even iPadOS, and even now it has a separate development path, I don't really like it all that much. I hate the way keyboards work on iPadOS. I don't know how you feel about this, Lewis. They're so tiny. Yeah. What happened to the yeah. old half-screen keyboard? That's what I want to know. I was about to say, you used to be able to split mm. them in half, yeah, mm. and then you'd have two two chords. That was a great. I loved that keyboard. That was <sighs> good. Days. Yeah. Um, I get what you mean, though. That it's. I think for me, the main downside of iPadOS is that they get all these new features added every year, but they don't point them out to you ever. So uh, you know, if if you're not someone like me who will literally go through and see what mm. every new feature is, uh, you will never know half of what this thing can do. Um, and I think that's just they try and talk you through it during uh, the upgrade don't they when you when you install iPadOS 15 or whatever but of course nobody reads those everyone's just tapping through those (laughs) they just tap through them next 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 I I do think there are definitely some pain points that the two have in common I remember when Lewis and I filmed our kind of Xiaomi and an iPad comparison video one of the interesting things is that both had the same what for me is a problem which is that the home screen's are very limited and, and kind of have limited space for app icons and stuff. So it's kind of purposefully spreading everything yes. out, giving you loads of like blank space, space on the home yeah. screen. And I'm like, no, I, I want to fit more widgets and icons mm. on because I've got all this space. Yeah. More and, stuff. and the Xiaomi Pad 5 has that exact same problem where you, you can still only have sort of four or five vertical rows of, of app shortcuts. And I'm like, why? This screen is three times the size of my phone. You know, let me it's put in more widgets. Let me put in more apps. Let, you know, let me use this space. Mm. Just everything, yeah. Let me embed apps yeah. into the home screen. <laughs> um, so little things like that that still need needs work. I think, you know, the the other side of it, I think, on the on the Android tablet side is that Google Android itself for a very long time had very poor multitasking support, mm. and it was the OEMs that built that in for yeah. themselves. Um, and I think base Android now has some, and it's okay. But that's another thing they're really working on improving for 12L, so that then other manufacturers will get that. You know delivered by google so to speak um because that's definitely one area where, where apple was for a long time way way ahead um much easier to run split screen stuff on ipads from my understanding at least yeah it's um and they've actually made it a little bit easier this time this year as well because we've got mm. little icons in the center of the display so you can split screen and, and move it to different windows and stuff like that so it is you know, of all the implementations of multitasking that I've seen on tablets, it is the cleanest. But there is still some work to do. Like there are certain gestures and stuff that even I don't understand what they do. Sometimes little windows pop up, and I'm like, "How do I get rid of this window?" Uh, I just have to close, force close everything, and yeah. hope that it disappears. <laughs> so yeah, there's still work to do on both. Tablet but... market in general is always a funny <laughs> yeah. one because obviously when, when tablets first sort of arrived, and you know, the, when the iPad became huge, a big part of it was this idea was, "Well, laptops are dead." You know, no one's going to buy a laptop in five years' time because you'll just have a tablet and they'll do everything your laptop does better. Um, and I feel like, in a way, part of probably when they started to drop off on the Android side was around when everyone realized that just wasn't true mm. and that's not what they were yeah. doing. And people lost a bit of interest once they realized if, you, you know, if you're building, marketing your tablet as a laptop replacement, it's just not really going to do it. And everyone who bought tablets as laptop replacements, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people found them actually to be frustrating and not and not really achieve that um and i think in a way tablets are going back to just doing what tablets do well which is a different thing to what laptops do well and maybe can find a new lease of life there which is really certainly the android side i think they'll they'll really sit in a much stronger space as 
entertainment devices. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would wager it. Yeah, something for Netflix. Netflix um, I would also wager a big chunk of the resurgence on the Android side is people, is OEMs looking forward at, at, at cloud gaming and saying, mm. well, you yeah. might want a big screen Android device that you can play, you know, cloud games on. And it doesn't need to be super powerful in its own right because it's only just got to stream everything. Um, and you can do that on your phone, but you don't yeah. want to play Halo Infinite on your six-inch phone screen. It's, you know, too irritating. But on the 10-inch tablet screen, like, cool, that feels like a much, much better experience for someone looking for that. And mm. you could still do that on this 200-euro Realme pad uh, without without any particular yeah. performance difference. Mm. So I, I do think there's going to be less of a focus on um, tablets, particularly Android tablets, being the laptop replacements. Because I know a few yeah. of like the Samsung tablets do come with the keyboard covers and things like that. But it feels like you're not only competing with iPadOS in that kind of market, you're also competing with Windows, the work Surface devices, with Windows. Yeah, um, absolutely, on the productivity side. Yeah, so it's, you not, know. It's, it's very, very hard for an Android tablet to do productivity things better than Windows because Windows is kind of built for that. Um, exactly. So, um, yeah, targeting these kind of more for, because then you can kind of put flagship specs in it, as we've seen. And you don't have to make them ridiculously expensive. You can have them like three, four, five hundred pounds, and they will do everything you want them to do. They don't have to be yep. crazy expensive. Well, I think it's very telling that uh, not to keep going back to the Xiaomi Pad, but um, in China, where they launched both the Xiaomi Pad and a Xiaomi Pad Pro that had Wi-Fi and 5G options, and they also launched it with a stylus and a smart keyboard. The global launch, they didn't bother with the Pro model at all. They dropped the high-end one. They didn't bother with a 5G option. It's Wi-Fi only. They didn't bother with the keyboard. There's no smart keyboard option. And even the stylus is only available in some markets, and the UK is not one of them. So all of the kind of stuff that could position it as, hey, buy this Pro model with 5G and a keyboard and a stylus, that's a laptop replacement. And maybe they felt like that worked in China. But for whatever reason, in sort of the different market interests, by the time it made it to, to Europe, they were yeah. like, no, we don't need Pro, we don't need 5G, we don't need a keyboard, we don't need a stylus. Like, they don't want that. They want the 350 euro Netflix machine. I think that also kind of comes down to app availability as well. I'm not sure what the app what the apps are like in China on, mm. on those tablets, but in, certainly in terms of the Android side um, in, in the Western market, you know, you've got most apps um, on Android and, you know, most of them run it in tablet form, but there are still, I think, a few that you just won't get on the Android side yeah. compared to iPad. And then you've got the more specialist apps like Procreate on iPad and stuff like that. That they're just not available on Android. So from day one, they're just not going to be quite as competitive. And, and there's no um, real incentive for devs to make those Android versions because there's only a few high-end yeah. Galaxy tabs that, that can take advantage. And, and as Anara quite rightly pointed out, most people looking at dropping a grand on a non-Apple tablet will buy a Windows one. Mm -hmm. And I would nine times out of ten recommend yeah. that they buy a Windows one, e even now and even... Maybe we'll see. Maybe that changes next year with Android 12L. I don't know, but in general, if you're if you're wanting that high-end productivity device, like there are Windows tablets, the Surface ones, but also you know, Lenovo and other mm -hmm. companies make make Windows-powered tablets, and they mm -hmm. come with keyboard attachments and styluses and all of that. And yeah, perversely, Windows is a better tablet platform than Android is, <laughs> certainly for high-end devices. Oh yeah, and maybe that above all is where where it all went wrong. Uh, cool. I think that feels like a good good point to sort of wrap this one up and move on to our third and final topic of the day, 
uh, and David has been eagerly awaiting, I'm sure. Uh, but the Apple. I'm never self- eager about anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, David has been dourly <laughs> awaiting. Uh, the Apple self-service repair program, uh, which for me at least certainly came came as a surprise when it was announced this this week. Was there was there more of an inkling on the on on the Apple side of things that this was on the way? No, no uh, thunderbolt from a clear sky. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so in some senses, it has been bubbling up for a while, but in a sort of political background sense, um, because there's been two sort of sim- uh, simultaneous um, increases in pressure, political uh, pressure and consumer pressure, people thinking that they should have to have, they need to have the right to repair their devices. And it isn't just Apple, you know, this is throughout technology. Um, but Apple is particularly historically is particularly strict about saying to people we do not support home repairs and we think you should get your stuff repaired by us or by authorized repair shops both ways obviously that result in apple getting revenue um and then this week they've suddenly said actually we're going to encourage you to repair things yourself we're going to empower you we're going to give you manuals to learn how to repair your Apple devices. We're going to sell you tools and parts. Um, and again, it's all still ways to make money, but it is sort of a positive development. Yeah. Um, but there's a much wider sort of political background to this that is, I think, interesting. I think you, you sort of mentioned right at the top of the show that they're probably doing this because they thought they were going to have to do this. And they thought, why don't we do it slightly earlier than they're going to make us do it? And that way we look better and we can sort of do it on our own terms a bit more. And and, and yeah. they perhaps importantly do it before anyone on the Android side does, mm. you know, and, and as you said, yeah, Apple's yeah. gotten a lot of the, the stick for this right to repair stuff. I think partly just, Partly deservedly, maybe as you say, they're, they're one of the stricter companies on this stuff in terms of their approved repair repair shops and that kind of thing. But also just because they're Apple, they're you know they're the phone company, so they're the, the you know the the, the company yeah. you 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 mention by name if you're a layperson writing about this stuff or whatever, and and it's the the company that most people will think of. So they get the good and the bad side of that kind of publicity, right? Um, but this makes sense for them because they're getting ahead of it. They get to be the first company that does this, and you know, now we'll wait and see that Samsung announced the same thing in three weeks' time or something. But um, for now, Apple gets to be the phone company that lets you repair your own phone and helps mm. you repair your own phone and gives you all of that. And yeah, but not that's yet. It's definitely worth something. Not yeah. So I mean, and that that, that that the timing thing is what makes <laughs> me wonder whether they know Samsung is about yeah. to announce something or whatever. <laughs> because yes, they've announced this now. But correct me if I'm wrong. It's rolling out sometime next year. And only in the US for now, at least. Yeah, it's and only on iPhone 12 and 13. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so the starting. I, yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'm suddenly I'm nervous about mentioning this. I, I, I emailed them. Lewis, tell me if I say something I shouldn't say. I emailed <laughs> them to ask when it's going to happen. Uh, am I even allowed to say they aren't? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Apple, Apple have a very interesting way of dealing it's with like, journalists, and they yeah. say we're not allowed to quote them, so I'm not going to quote them. But basically, they... You're not, you're not allowed to attribute yeah. it to a specific person. Yeah, so I, I didn't email a person. I emailed a corporation. Um, and, and the corporation, corporation responded. responded. <laughs> and the answer was no. Um, 
Yeah, so they're being they're being very coy about the timing. It, as you said, it's it's just the US. They haven't mentioned which other. I mean, they said other countries will follow later in 2022, mm. but they didn't say which countries. I mean, you know, pro British bias of us, we would naturally assume we're in the the second tier, but who knows? Maybe we're not. I don't know. Um, and yeah, and initially it's the iPhone 12 and iPhone 13 series handsets. They said that the next um, what's the word tranche of if mm. that word of products to follow will be the M1 oh, based Max. Yeah, but they they weren't as, as as I recall they weren't specific about even that. They didn't say if that would be later in 2022 or just soon. I think that was literally soon, the word soon to be followed <laughs> by Mac computers featuring M1 chips. Mm. Also very vague yeah. about which Mac computers featuring M1 chips. That doesn't say yeah. all of them. Mm. It just says. Mac computers. Oh, you don't think M1 that's chips. even all the M1 based ones? Well, I don't, I don't that know. Is, that maybe, is a bit cheap because I, I thought that implied all it, M1 based, but maybe, yeah, mm. maybe it doesn't. I think they've left the wiggle room to not. I reckon be. it'll just be well, desktops. Well, that was my thought. I, I, it's going to be desktops, isn't it? The, the iMacs is one thing, but I, the MacBooks are a very different proposition mm. from a repair yeah, exactly. perspective. And I, I wonder if there's going to yeah. be a differentiation there. Because they, they don't say yeah. MacBook, they say Mac computers, which mm. certainly gives them the room to say, oh, we only meant the iMacs. That is interesting. You think we're going to let you, you know, repair a MacBook <laughs> Pro? And there's, but there's all sorts of other limitations as well. So it's not it's not just any um, repairs to the iPhone 12 and 13. It's specific mm, modules. No. Mm. I think they said they're starting with the camera module and, and two other things. Um, and display. Okay, three. well, all right, to be fair, um, those are probably the and which are the big ones. I mean, to, the main but, one for most people, right, will be wanting to replace the battery because their battery's knackered. Or replace yeah. the display because they've dropped the phone yeah. and the smash the screen. screen. That's, yeah. And I guess the camera, because you, you cracked the glass on a camera lens, but that's probably even less common than the others. So, yeah. I mean, that will, probably will catch 95% of of the repairs people want to make, I would have thought, if not more. Yeah. That's the thing. This is when people always come up to me and they're like, oh, I've broken my iPhone. I'm like, what's, what's the matter of it? Screen. It's always, yeah. I broke my screen. There's mm. never, I've never heard of any other complaint from an iPhone. It's always, I broke my screen. How do I get it fixed? So yeah, I think they're making a smart a smart move here. And it also, um, you know, we, we, can, we come sometimes forget this living in a big city, but not everyone has access to an Apple mm -hmm. store to take these things to when they need to be fixed. Like, you know, especially in the US, you could be hours from an Apple store. So just the, the ability to, yeah, you know, get the stuff sent to your house and have Apple will be like, okay, this is exactly how you do it. Um, it kind of gives you the confidence to be able to yep. do that yourself at home. Um, we should probably point out, though, Apple has outlined that it's um, focused more at technicians with experience in taking apart consumer electronics than everyday consumers. But they don't tell you you can't, so give it a go. Yeah, I think <laughs> the, the pictures very much are kind of... In a way, although this is pictures you can repair it yourself, I feel like what really the change here is more it enables that a larger tier of iPhone repair places to not be actively labeled yeah. as not approved. Apple doesn't recommend void your warranty if you use them. Yeah. It's now just, you know, your local guy who wants to repair, who can repair an iPhone can do that in a s more official capacity mm. than, than previously. And, and a bit more of a kind of, yes, Apple recommends using this, using yeah, genuine, using genuine parts, parts well. all of that kind of thing. Um, do you think that then, they will, cause I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure they, they've, they've done a lot of work sort of propagandistically against people that haven't got the sign up that say they're an authorized reseller they they've mm -hmm. i mean there, there were those leaked videos was it last month or something like that these these videos they'd made to teach people how to explain how awful a non-genuine part is <laughs> and yeah. I, I find it really hard to believe that 
that you've got the and I don't know how the revenue side of this works, but I, I assume that you pay a license yeah. fee to be an authorised reseller. I mean, I Presumably, yeah. So those guys yeah. that have paid their license fees and then the people who haven't paid their license fees but are just buying the, the genuine parts from the uh, the parts store, I can't know what they, they're calling it, I, I assume they'll still want to sort of um, privilege one of those in their in their marketing. They're going to say, oh, yeah, go to the authorised reseller, the, the authorised repair shop. I, I I can't see that they're gonna back up the guy who's just bought it off the store and yeah it's a genuine part but he's not a genuine repairer. Mm. You might I don't be right know. Right. I, mean, they, they, I mean, there's a real history yeah. here that that they're continuing even in this in this press release of of scaring people. Um, the yeah. press release it, it still it keeps going says, back to how you know you should absolutely. go to a, a professional repairer at an apple authorized repair place you know exactly it says for the majority yeah. of people that is the best safest and most reliable you know all these all these sort of dog whistle words mm. that yep. mean yeah. they're gonna they're gonna break your phone you know and they've, also, and they've done this stuff in ios where they they you know it detects it doesn't need to detect that there's a non-genuine part it could work yeah. with it but it's, it's it's sabotaging the phone because it detects a third-party screen and, and stuff like this and yeah there's also that both good and bad element to one part of this, which is that when you um, when you try and order one of these parts, it will first offer you the repair manual, which I think is a good thing in a way because it means someone won't buy one of these, you know, buy a buy a replacement display and then discover what's really involved yeah. in replacing a display and realize, oh, I can't do this. But equally, it definitely feels like it's partly there to do exactly that scaremonger you say, which is. You're going. I want to buy buy an iPhone iPhone display part, but the Apple are kind of like, well. First, you've got to read this and look how yes. scary replacing Ooh. a display is. I have a feeling that manual will <laughs> yeah. emphasise the difficulty, the risk, the probability of of you know ruining this screen by by mishandling it. Um, I think um, also Apple has kind of forgotten that YouTube is <laughs> yes. like you know the process of, of, of replacing an iPhone display is going to be the same whether Apple tells you how to do it or whether someone else tells you how to do it so even if the manual is really overcomplicated and looks terrifying you can go on YouTube and you can find a tutorial on how to replace an iPhone screen for basically any yeah. model yeah but so they're, they're not they're not talking to the there. people that, that go and look on a tutorial on YouTube they're, they're talking to the the, the silent majority if you like who would be scared they would look at yep. the manual and they'd go that's not for me mm-hmm. and then that's the end of the thing they're not going to yeah. go and look on you know look up some some guy on youtube that they don't know of you know mm. it's uh yeah it's i, I think you're I, I hadn't even that hadn't even occurred to me about the manual but the manual is yet another opportunity for them to scare Put people off it mm. yeah yeah i think one one thing that'll be interesting looking long term and I, I think i know the answer to this but is whether Apple starts changing the design of its products to be more repairable, which is obviously another part of of the issue yeah. here around the right to repair stuff. Is that you know that this hardware is designed in ways that isn't isn't friendly to do this, and you know will them offering this mean they start building these phones in a way that it makes that you know the iPhone 14 screen is a bit easier to replace than the 13s? Um, yeah. Because I remember at older iPhones, the display was really easy to replace because it was literally as soon as you unscrewed the screws at the bottom, it would yeah. be the first thing mm. that popped off to reveal everything underneath. Um, and now I think it kind of goes from the other way where you take off the back and then you go through the, the motherboard and the battery and everything else to get to mm. the display at the front. Um, so, yeah, that's a massive headache. Um, but yeah, it was because that was back in the day when it was 
from Apple's perspective, probably too easy. <laughs> I think they need to find a nice middle ground where it's not quite, you know, just unscrew this, yeah. pop this off and you're done, but not quite, you know, getting the uh, the binoculars out and, and looking at these kind of tiny, tiny screws and, and putting all that stuff everywhere. But yeah, I, I, can't, I can't see that changing. A, I can't no. see it getting even slightly easier to repair. And, and they've always been getting these terrible scores from sites like iFixit where they just go, mm. everything's covered in glue. All, yep. the, mm-hmm. all the screws are proprietary the screw types it's just mm. sorry i think sorry, the other yeah. <laughs> the other interesting angle to all the stuff <laughs> that certainly adds weight to like why apple's gotten onto this before anyone else has is the eco side because i think obviously a lot of the right repair stuff is about yes being friendly to consumers allowing consumers to save money by keeping their devices there's also obviously an environmental side to that which is it's better if people replace parts rather than replace whole products at once. Apple's obviously very cannily, and I don't not necessarily unfairly, but it's been very strategic in positioning itself as the phone company with a good environmental record, um, or at least a better environmental record than than others. That's partly down to it offering long-term software support. We were talking about that earlier with the Motorola's that their long-term software support was terrible. Generally, on the Android side, it's bad, getting better, but bad. Um, and it's definitely feels very strategic of Apple in that sense that this is another way they get to put themselves as, yeah, we're with a company that encourages you to be environmentally friendly and to keep the same device for a long time. Do you think that was yeah. a factor for them? They're, um, I think they're also going a step further in, in the repair um, process itself because they say that if you send back your old parts, they'll actually give you credit towards your next iPhone or, or iPad or whatever it is that you're going to buy from it's the nice Apple touch, store. Isn't it? it doesn't Ooh. say how much credit you're going to get, but that is a nice thing to be like, you know, <clears throat> don't throw that stuff in the bin. We'll, we'll take it off your hands and we'll sort it all out. Um, I think you are right, yeah. It's just it's, it's, it's the latest in a long line of, of environmentally friendly pushes. It's something that they focus on at basically every iPhone event, mm. every Mac event. They talk mm. about how much greener it is, Apple Park, how much better it is on the iPhones, how much recycled yep. material they're using it is definitely their new thing. I think for ages it was privacy. I mean, it still is privacy, but I think it's kind of, yeah, privacy and environment is the big focuses for Apple at the moment. Which is a really big change for them, actually. I mean, mm. at least the, the environmental one. Um, I wrote a long, a long read about their environmental record quite a long time ago. And under Steve Jobs, they had a terrible, terrible environmental record, which was really, it didn't fit at all with the stuff he would talk about in other areas. He had that sort of, he had he had this weird sort of selfish hippie sort of mentality that he was like, like a kind of new agey sort of thing, but really selfishly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think that it's a real Tim Cook thing, this is sort of pushing towards being having a friendlier image. Mm-hmm. But that also ties in to the, the big um, trend for Apple this year, which is the sense that it is um, on the verge of giving up a lot of things it's held on to for a long time. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's trying to look nicer. And at the same time, you've had the App Store stuff, which was building up for quite a few years people objected to the fact that they had no power people who were developers and they've they've given made all these concessions quite suddenly within the last few months and then you've got the right to repair stuff bubbling up at the same time and then they're like okay we'll give we'll give ground give ground on that area and they've even had the internal stuff with their employees who mm. they 
I got the impression were quite strict with, you know, I guess it's that thing where if it's an area where people want to work, then you can be kind of crappier in the way you treat them. You know, you don't have to pay them so well. Um, but there's been a lot of dissatisfaction among Apple employees and they, they've given ground there as well. So this sort of larger narrative of which this is only quite a small part is that it feels to me like Apple is a very powerful company and still a very powerful company, but it's suddenly losing its confidence and it's sort of going, these people mm. don't like us. These people don't like us. Mm. And I shouldn't mention Steve Jobs too many times under Steve Jobs. He would not have given any, <laughs> try not to say a rude word. He would not cared that people yeah. didn't like him, but now they're like, please like us, please like us. We'll let you repair your phone. We'll be nice to environment. Well, it's interesting that you made that comparison because we actually had a, a, a comment on YouTube from from one of our regulars, Alex, who basically made that that the comparison to the antitrust stuff they're going through with the app restrictions in the app store and and kind of I, th- I think what he's getting out of the comment is is whether they made this change in part because it was an easy win um, over the right to repair stuff as they might be heading towards some very bad PR around the app restrictions and things like that where they maybe aren't going to be able to get the PR win they want to get there but at least if they can avoid the damage on the right to repair side it'll kind of yeah, stave they, off I, the worst of it I guess they thought they couldn't they couldn't to fight both battles at once yeah um, they thought we're gonna have to give away on one because I mean yes to, to be fair although they have as I said they've made concessions on the app store they are still they're still pretty punchy on it Mm. Um, they've, they've made some concessions they don't want to make any more this whole business of side loading which i think is almost inevitable now that they're mm. going to have to allow that um but they it was craig federighi made a big thing about side loading is a cyber criminal's best friend yeah um, against scare <laughs> scaring people they love, well, love that. there was that line like if, if you want <laughs> to phone the side loads apps buy an android <laughs> you know kind mm. of the market choice is already there yeah it's just not an apple one but yeah purposely missing the point it doesn't happen so does that make you a cyber criminal if you have a mac because you can technically <laughs> side load apps on a yeah mac. lewis <laughs> boom yeah. <laughs> i wish you i wish you were there when he was being interviewed you could have said that <laughs> honestly i would have i'd have been right there what are you saying <laughs> <laughs> So given how, um, I guess, in a way, limited a lot of this self-service repair stuff is, and, and at least the way they're trying to scare people off, how 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 much do we think we're going to see the Android brands follow suit here? And in, in what ways might it be different? How you know Do we think they're going to handle this any differently than Apple has? Or... So I, I, I kind of jump in there and I was like, yes, but now I'm thinking about it. Android phones are so varied in mm. design, even from the same manufacturer. You know, there's so many different parts going around, but the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 13 are basically identical. The parts for, for, for the majority of it are going to be identical. But yeah, even even with the S21, it's just wildly different compared to the S20 and, and, and the different Samsung ranges. Just, yeah, just I mean, Samsung. Apple's put out four phones um, so, yeah. this year. It's offering this repair program for a total yeah. of eight phones. Samsung alone has put yeah. out more than eight phones this year. It's probably put out, you know, more than eight phones in the last six months. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you get to someone yeah. like Xiaomi, Xiaomi puts out eight phones every month. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's such a different prospect to say, yeah, we're going to give you step-by-step repair yeah. and, and, you know, instructions. Right. Motorola today. Exactly. Six phones. Yeah. Are you going to repair all of those? Nah. Um, I, maybe for some flagships, uh, you know, 
um but i wouldn't i can't see this kind of trickling down to mid or, or even budget range they'll like if yeah you break it buy a new one the, the only company we've seen yeah. we've seen do it before is fairphone where they've where they genuinely make the parts yes, that you can you can replace the parts part yeah. oh, they yeah. they pitch it as being very easy for even everyday consumers to replace they, the parts. they have built it to be repairable yeah. is i guess the difference yeah which is I guess getting that question whether Apple would make that shift, mm. and, and I think I agree with David that they won't. But yeah, Fairphone is in a way a very different prospect, yeah. but clearly has had an influence here in, in their own way, where their pitch is, "Hey, the eco-friendly thing to do is to buy a phone that is, you know, user repairable, parts user replaceable. When your battery starts to get, you know, starts to go the wrong way, you just buy a new battery part, swap it in, and we built it so you can do that mm-hmm. easily." Um, which, of course, I, you know, used to be the case with all phones. Yeah. Replaceable batteries were absolutely the norm for a very long time. Oh, I remember that. That was one of the main the main arguments for Android was that well, I can carry around yeah. a second battery. <laughs> and to be honest, I was, I was pretty jealous a lot of times. I want that. Uh, but no, I think I think you're probably right, Lewis. I think we'll see this as a flagship thing, and I wonder if maybe in a couple of years' time it'll be up part of the sales pitch, like the Galaxy S twenty three or S twenty four. Like it's repairable yeah. as as being part of the reason to buy this one and, and not buy a cheaper one or. Or you know we will start to see the brands compete a bit on that, but I suspect yeah it'll be it'll be very limited, um, and I wonder if that will be the space where companies like OnePlus, who although they are expanding, they still have a relatively small selection of handsets. They are in a way better yeah. position than some to start offering this kind of this kind mm-hmm. of roadmap. Yeah, for sure. Someone like Xiaomi in particular, I, I cannot see how they get there. Mm. Certainly not to any any sort of uniform approach um they can certainly put out you know press releases about how they're improving access for parts to stores or something but uh you know user repairability unless they give very generic instructions and 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 parts Mm. well this is the thing yeah every with every design being slightly different you're gonna have to have a slightly different repair manual for every model and that's just Mm. who's doing that (laughs) exactly and to be fair they must have internal documents for all of this stuff but building the consumer facing versions yeah. of it and also selling these parts figuring out your stock and inventory globally for every different type of screen every different type of battery every different camera module um you know that's going to become a lot trickier and uh, again apple feels like the only company with both a small enough product selection and its own global sort of supply chains and store infrastructure and all of that it's just hard to see anyone else matching that. And I, I wonder how much this will start to be a real point of differentiation that people care about or whether it's just lip service and the average consumer will just go, oh, I'm, I'm never going to repair it myself anyway, you know, mm. which I guess is the big question. Yeah, this is the thing. I like, yeah. I like the idea. I like the idea of having the option, but whether I ever actually do it yeah. is, is... Will people story. ever actually follow through on that? Which again is the whole point of Apple's. You know, it'll it'll throw that manual up, and you'll say, "Yeah, of course I can do my swap my own display." You open the manual and see, like, it lists the twelve different ways you might break it in the first fifteen seconds, and <laughs> you realize maybe you don't want to. Don't touch yeah. it. Don't breathe on it. No direct sunlight. Don't let it expose to oxygen, or you will die. <laughs> the thing I the thing I wonder with phones in general is that if they are going to make them easier to repair and more environmentally friendly in general, whether that will come with a price increase and how receptive consumers are going to be to that. Because we've seen that, mm. particularly in the budget space, that companies are just literally trying to make stuff with you know as much, as good a spec sheet as you can for the price with almost no other consideration. Um, and that whether it will be, if you end up having to pay a premium for something that's more responsibly sourced or easier to replace, 
whether consumers will be willing to buy into that and that will probably be used as a way to advertise the phone as you say as well totally i mean that's part of the fairphone challenge mm-hmm. um it's partly a question of scale. There are a smaller company than most other phone manufacturers, and, and that obviously affects pricing. But yeah, for for Fairphone, you will pay a real premium to have that sense that this phone is environmentally friendly and repairable and replaceable and all of that. You know, the specs you will get for the price are very poor mm-hmm. compared to rivals, and a lot of people, you know, will be willing to make that change and, and make that 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 trade-off and feel like they're they're willing to do that in order to feel like they're doing the right thing and they're doing something that's better for the environment and and more ethical and um you know they'll try and do more you know use more response resource materials less kind of you know questionable like labor practices and that kind of thing and i think many people will make that trade i think a lot of people will get there and go well i'd love to buy a phone that's you know completely ethically sourced and repairable environmentally friendly but oh it's 200 pounds extra like Mm. maybe not you know, they'll they, yeah. And it's the same. It's the same thing with with food, isn't it? It's, it's unhealthy and healthy food. Healthy food tends to cost more than the unhealthy stuff. So people will just, you know, they know that the healthy food is better for them, but they're just going to go for the cheaper stuff because it's cheaper and more readily mm-hmm. available. I think it's just going to be a similar thing here. Um, they're just going to go for whatever fits their their bank mm-hmm. balance. Essentially, you know, it's it's a nice thing to have, but I don't think for a lot of people, I don't think it'll ever be. A point where they're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to slap down an extra three. But again, wood. perfectly suits Apple's um, ethos and, and aesthetic as always positioned as a premium brand to, in a way, mm-hmm. be able to take that and be like, yeah, yeah we're, we're mm-hmm. the like organic free range smartphone. You know, it's, uh, it's for yeah. people who are willing to pay a premium to know that their phone is, is more ethical than other people's phones. Uh this is a very depressing conversation i'll be honest with you. <laughs> and, and to be clear i think that's a good thing obviously i think and i think we need more devices that are repairable and i, I you know the my cynicism comes from a sort of skepticism about how widely the market will really adopt this and how practical it'll be for a lot of companies to adopt yeah. without hurting their bottom line but i think they should and i wish more would and whatever apple's reasons for this and again i'm very cynical about apple's reasons for adopting us which i think are primarily about marketing and about avoiding crushing eu legislation but um you know it's this is a good outcome this is absolutely an improvement in the phone in the smartphone market that some phones are now user repairable officially and more should be and i i'm very glad that of all the companies doing it it is apple doing it because for better or worse other companies do follow apple they do copy what apple does and no matter how much of an android fan you know you want to be you've got to acknowledge that a lot of the android brands will look to apple to take the lead on a lot of you know ways they approach the marketplace the obvious example recently being you know dropping the charger apple dropped the charger said yeah it's for environmental reasons whether it really was or what or wasn't is neither here nor there because the result was now google and samsung have both also dropped the charges from their flagships because apple did it and that made it okay everyone's Everyone's doing this really annoying thing, though, where they're dropping the charger, but also in the same fell swoop, switching from USB-A to USB-C. So yeah. even though they don't mm-hmm. supply a charger, you still need to go and buy one. And all those chargers that you had so are now redundant. It's just it, when Apple did that, it just it grinded my gears. And I was just like, yes, no, you can see what's the happening Apple timing here. That was pretty bad. You know, they they yeah. talk about all this. Oh, my God, <laughs> it was painful. Um, I will say though, you know, it's it's encouraging to see, uh, you know, they're they're welcoming self repairs. You know, they're making concessions on the App Store. You know, does this mean that we might actually get USB C on an iPhone? 
aren't they going to concede that much because they're getting a lot of pressure from that is one Europe of the other big yeah points where they might you know do that will they will they jump before they're pushed i guess yeah yeah maybe exactly, they will yeah I'd, I'd, um, I'd never thought of that as a as a realistic yeah. option before but you're right they're giving way on all these other areas maybe they yeah. will maybe Sorry, they'll smell lot. you know the, yeah. the i mean smell <laughs> maybe they'll sniff the wind i don't know what these <laughs> phrases are but maybe they'll sense that the legislation is coming like they are with the right yeah. to repair and just go sure you know latest iphone usb yeah i mean they're already pitching it because like when when they upgraded the the ipad mini uh from from lightning to usb they were like this is 50 times faster and i was like imagine you could actually say that with your phone that still uses lightning you know just no but they'll do it they'll do it in the most obnoxious way they can which is that it'll be the pro models that go to usb c oh yeah but not the other ones and it will create this like ports confusion even within the same iphone lineup or something something silly like that that just sort of confuses everyone and no one knows which cables go with which phones anymore Uh, that i think wraps us up for this week uh so thank you to everyone who's been watching and listening and thank you to anarin and especially david for for joining us for this week's episode uh we will be back uh same time same place next week uh toddy should be back on the show uh having been swanning around in scotland for two weeks He'll, uh, he'll be back to actually, you know, do some hard graft. <laughs> He's not going to be very tanned. <laughs> <laughs> no, Scott, two weeks in Scotland in November is, I mean, I'd rather him than me. But uh, he will be back on the show. <laughs> we will, I am sure, be talking about that MediaTek flagship chip that should be getting announced today, I think. Today or tomorrow, that's going to turn up. We'll be able to talk about that next week. And who knows what else? Maybe, you know, Motorola are going to drop another seven phones on us in the next uh, few days. <laughs> we'll keep our eyes out. No, it's, it's oh, Xiaomi's Xiaomi turn. Okay, week. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Until then, thanks to everyone for watching, listening. Bye. See ya. Bye.